0: All right, Ephesians chapter 2, pretty familiar passage, if you are familiar, uh, if you have a little bit of a church background, we're going to read the first 10 verses, uh, and then we'll kind of, I really want to focus, kind of like I did last week, on one primary verse, but you need all 10 verses to make sense of it. So, starting in verse 1, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins of Primarily going to focus or get to verse 10. All right, that's where I want to spend the bulk of our time this morning, but we got to do a little work to get there because verse 10, we only make sense of that after we make sense of uh, the first nine verses. All right, and so these first nine verses are packed. Right, I would say this is definitely one of, if not the most powerful, clear uh, descriptions of the gospel in, in all of the Bible. Right, Ephesians chapter two, verses one through nine. I, I am confident that I could preach multiple sermons on those nine verses. Okay, but I've showed some restraint and self-control, so I'm gonna try to get us through those nine verses relatively quickly, and then we're gonna get to verse ten. All right. So uh, here's here's what's happening in, in context. Right, Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, uh, a, a church that he loved, that he was familiar with, spent a lot of time there. Uh, spoiler alert: We're going to be in Ephesians again next week. Uh, it's my favorite book of the Bible. But anyways, so uh, Paul's explaining to the church in Ephesus. Right? He's writing to believers, to Christians, and what he's saying is in these first nine verses, he's highlighting uh, the significance of of what God has done in saving them. Right? He he he's saying this is this is what has happened to you. God has saved you. This is what that means, right? And he, and he begins by starting with uh, who they were apart from salvation or, or before they received the gift of salvation, right? And it's a, it's a pretty bleak picture, right? It's where he starts in verse one. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, right? It's a, you, you were dead in the trespasses and sins. It's, it's a, not encouraging, right? And then he goes on in, in verse 3, the next verse, and he makes it clear that this is, a, this is the universal human experience. right? verse 3. He says that, that we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Aren't you encouraged this morning? Right? All right, what... what? See, he's saying apart from, apart from receiving salvation from Jesus Christ, we are all, all of us, by default, children of wrath, right? To, to put it as pl- plainly as I know how, no one is born a Christian, right? That's not how this works, right? We're all born under sin. Um, I'm tempted to go further here. I got I to be quick. Let's keep going. Um. We are born as, by default, children of wrath who, who, again, in our sinful nature, reject God and reject his rule in favor of our own uh, sinful desires, uh, following those desires, following the, the passions of our flesh, right? This is true for all of us, right? This is true universal human experience. And as children of wrath, we are fully deserving of God's punishment by default, all right, so, so it doesn't matter you know, what your, your backstory is, before Jesus, like you were deserving of all of God's wrath, all of God's punishment. That's the case for all of us. All right? Now, that's not exactly a, a seeker-sensitive kind of message, is it? Right, that sort of, that's sort of uh, deflates the whole idea that we're all just good people that kind of need a little fixed up, Right? Like, we're not, we're not intrinsically good people that just need our rough edges knocked off. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're, we're dead people, by default, who need to be made alive. And praise God, this is what Paul says in verse 4. Right? This is what God has done for us. He, he says in, in verse 4, but God. See, we, in our sin, hopeless, dead, cut off. Verse 4, but God. All right, maybe maybe two, of, two of the most powerful words in the entire Bible. But, God. My youth pastor growing up uh, used to say that this was a really big but. You laugh, but I remember it like 10, 15 years later, right? More than 10, 15, 20 years later. Goodness, I'm older than I thought it was. Um, wow, that happened quick. Anyways, massively important. But, God. Out of an an overflow of his mercy. He chose not to give us what we deserve. We deserved wrath. We deserved punishment. We deserved uh, eternity in hell separated apart from him. But God, motivated by mercy, gave us what we did not, or he chose not to give us what we do deserve, and instead an outpouring of his grace gives us what we don't deserve. Right? He, he gives us life. We were dead in our sins. But God, through Jesus Christ, gives us life. That's what the text says. He made us alive. And not only does He give us life here and now, we might, might walk in fellowship with Him, but He gives us eternal life. Right? That's what He goes on to say, that, that through faith in Christ, not only have we been made alive, but what we will uh, experience... The immeasurable riches of His grace, for, for all of eternity. Right? That's what's available to us, but it's not something that we do for ourselves. It's not something that we work for. It's not something that we, we earn. right? This is accomplished through Jesus Christ on the cross, so that all who put faith and trust in Jesus, all who believe that Jesus paid the full price for the penalty, of your sin, this is what's true of you. You've been moved from, from death to life. And you will experience eternal life, the immeasurable riches of his grace. All this was a gift. That's what Paul says here. Right? You, a, a gift is something that you don't, you don't earn, right? That's a reward. A gift is something that is given to you out of the, the good overflowing of love of the giver. And that's what God has done for us. He gave His only Son, so that all who believe in Him, put their faith and trust in Him, might receive life. It's not the result of works. Not the result of, it's it's, it's not our own doing. Like, we have nothing to boast in other than what Jesus Christ has done for us. So, if you are a Christian, this is your story. You were once dead. Through faith in Christ, you've been moved to life. Right? And, and I, I hope, I, I pray that that never grows old on you. Right? I, I hope you, that never becomes something you're just like, okay, yeah, cool story. What's next? Right? <laughs> that, that you were once dead, hopeless, cut off, but God in his mercy and in his grace saved you. I hope that never grows old on you. All right? And if you're here and you're not a Christian, that's not yet your story but it can be, right? If, if you're here and you're, you're not a Christian, then the reality is, is you're still hanging out in those first three verses, right? Dead in the trespasses and sins in which you are, not once walked, but in which you're still walking, right? But I want you to know that, that this can be your story through repentance of sin, through faith in Jesus Christ, right? And if that's something you're like, okay, I need to talk about that. Listen, awesome, after service today, myself, any number of us would love to talk to you about that, what it means to be a Christian, how you can become a Christian. We can talk here. would love to talk to you here before you leave this morning. We can meet for lunch, coffee this week, all right? We'd love to, to tell you more about what it means to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Okay? So, much more could have been said about those first nine verses. Probably should have been said about those first nine verses, but I'm, I'm trying to get us to verse 10 this morning, okay? So, let's look at it again. Verse 10, this is where we're going to kind of camp out for the rest of our time. For we are, for we, believers, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So let me give you the big idea and then we're going to try and tease it out a little bit. Big idea is this, you were not just saved from something but you were saved to something, right? You were not just saved from something. Now, you were saved from something, but you weren't just saved from something. You were also saved to something, right? Now, look, again, we're going to kind of dissect this verse a little bit. He, He starts by saying that we are God's workmanship, right? I don't know what translation you're looking at. I'm reading now the ESV. Other translations use words like handiwork. We are God's handiwork. Uh, we are God's masterpiece. We are God's work of art, his, his craftsmanship. Right? The idea is that, that as believers, right? Paul's writing about believers here, Christians. As believers, we are new creations. Right? And that new creation is that like, he identifies us as his workmanship. Right? God sees you as a, a creation of his that he is incredibly proud of. Right? I don't know if you dabble in any sort of creative uh, efforts. Uh, Kelly and I try to do some of that stuff. And there's, there's something so enjoyable, enjoyable, get that out in a minute, about creating this, this piece of art and then being able to stand back and look at it and be like, that is amazing. And that's kind of the point here. Right, you, if you are a Christian, you're a new creation in Christ. You are his workmanship, his masterpiece. So that he, he looks at you and he steps back and he's like, that is incredible. Right, that's what you are. You are his workmanship. But even as his workmanship, that doesn't mean that you are at the center of it all. Because even as his workmanship, his handiwork, his work of art, his masterpiece, you are still created. Which means that the creator of this work of art, right? he has a specific purpose for his creation. So you, as God's handiwork, as his masterpiece, as his workmanship, God has designed you for a specific purpose. And that's what he says in the next phrase. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. All right, so not only have you been saved from something, eternal punishment, hell, wrath, but you've also been saved to something, and that something is good works. All right, so, so what are these good works? All right, let me. Here's a, uh, something I read this week. I thought it was kind of much more clear and concise than I would ever be, so I'm just going to read it so that I'm not up here sort of talking in your are wondering like, what is he saying? All right? Here's what one of the authors I read this week says. He says, We are created in Christ Jesus for works that are morally and beneficially good for us, for those around us, and for God. That's the good work you're created for. right? The good works that you're created for is not some sort of... Ethereal. I've got to figure out this specific plan for my life. And if I don't figure out that plan, like, I'm saying God does have a plan for your life. But there are good works. Like you don't have to find this one specific route to live in, and that's your good work. Right? Your good works that you were created for look like everyday faithfulness. Right? Living out what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a child of God in just everyday life. Those are the good works you're created for. All right, and so at the, at the end of the day, really these, these good works that Paul says, you're saved to these things, really they can be summed up in what Jesus said is the greatest commandment. Love God above all else. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right, those are the good works that we as his workmanship are created for. To love God above all, to worship him above all, to obey him above all, and to love the people created in God's image that he has sovereignly and providentially put in our spheres of influence. All right, that's the good work we're created for. So let's make this... Let me back up. The kind of reaction to that, I think, is sort of like, really? Is that it? That's the good works I'm created for. Yeah, yeah, it kind of is. Like it's it's not hard to know what the Christian how the Christian life is supposed to be lived. That is not a hard thing to figure out. It is hard to live it out. Right. It's hard to uh, to deny yourself. It's hard to resist temptation. It's hard to take up your cross daily and follow him. Right? It's, it's hard to put your sin to death and wage war against your flesh. Like, those are hard things to do, but it's not hard to know that that's what you need to do. Right? The, the Bible lays this out really clearly. Like, hey, this is what it means to be a follower of me, to live in this way. Right? We've got it exemplified in Jesus. We've got Jesus teaching it. We've got all of the, uh, the, the New Testament sort of laying out, hey, here's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Here's the things you want to give yourself to. Here's the one of the things you want, to, you want to abstain from. Not a hard thing to figure out. In fact, here's how I can make it like really, really practical for you this week. Rather than me just stand up here and be like, here's what good works look like, I'm just going to give you some homework. Okay? Listen, there won't be a quiz next week, so we're working on the honor system here. But some really clear, really tangible examples of what these good works look like. Just read Ephesians four through six. Ephesians four, three chapters, right? It, I kind of said earlier. I, I love the book of Ephesians. It's. I don't know if preachers are allowed to have a favorite book of the Bible. Ephesians is mine. Ephesians can be divided right down the middle, right? The first three chapters are all about uh, what God has done for us, salvation offered to us, some implications of that. But then the last three chapters, four, five, and six, are just really practical here's how you live this Christian life out in a variety of different areas. Right? He, he writes about how this looks in the life of the church, how this looks uh, in our relationships with one another, how we should conduct ourselves in, uh, in, in conduct and speech, uh, how we live as Christians within relationships like marriage or parents. And we go on and on, like Ephesians 4 through 6 are some great tangible practical examples of what these good works look like in your day-to-day life. And if you read that and you're like, I need more, I would say Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, 7. Jesus just lays out, here's what it looks like to follow me. Here's what it looks like to live out these good works in your everyday life. So, good works. That's what we're saved to. Okay, but... But not only we created four good works, the text also says that in verse 10, God prepared them beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the same language, if you back up in Ephesians and look at chapter 1, uh, where Paul's uh, sort of just exploding in like this praise of, of who God is and what God has done. It's, it's the same language that's translated like before the foundations of the earth. In other words... Like, before you were, like, even on the scene, God had prepared good works for you to walk in. Right, God, but before anything was ever created, certainly before you were created, but before Genesis 1-1, God had, had prepared good works for you to walk in. He knew, listen, He knew that the days that would be numbered for you, He knew that the gifts and the abilities that He would give you, He knew... Uh, the places in which he would put you. He knew the people that he was going to surround you with. Right? God prepared these works for you beforehand that you should walk in them. Like I, I think that's amazing right? to know that, that the creator of the universe has, has placed me where he's placed me, when, we, when he placed me, and he's given me good works to do so that through those good works, Not only do I grow in holiness, and I grow in conformity to the the image of Christ, but also others might see these good works and and give glory to to God. That's that's what God has done. He's prepared, not only has He given you good works to do, but He's prepared them beforehand that you should walk in them. Here's one of the preachers that I like to listen to a lot. I I listened to a sermon several weeks ago uh, on this passage, and here's what he said about that. He said, you were made for the day, and the day was made for you. It it is not by accident that you are where you are when you're there. And God has put you there that you might live out these good works that he's called you to. Okay? So, last thing I want you to see from verse 10. says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So to say it just as plainly, as clearly as I know how, if you are a Christian, walking in good works is not optional. Walking in good works is not, listen, it's not something that's reserved for uh, the super spiritual elite varsity level christians right, in, in fact i don't think the bible gives a category for like top level christians just kind of mid level christians and then not like this is not a category it's like you're christian or you're not and so paul says that he's prepared good works for us that we should walk in them in other words like they're not an option To call yourself a follower of Jesus means that we walk in the good works prepared for us. And again, this doesn't mean you're saved by your good works. Paul's already just (laughs) said that. Like, hey, you're not saved as a result of your works. But your works are evidence of a genuine faith. You, You are saved by God's grace alone through faith in Christ alone. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, but you're not saved by faith that is alone. In other words, if if, if you claim to be a follower of Christ and you just look back over sort of the, the history of your life as a Christian, and like you just can't really spot any sort of good works, any sort of growth in good works, I'm not saying perfection, all right, that is certainly not what I'm saying. But if you can't see any sort of pattern of, of good works in your life, and that That should be like a check engine light. There's a reason that Paul says over and over again in the New Testament, hey, examine yourselves to make sure you're in the faith. And one of the ways we examine ourselves is looking back at, hey, is my life marked by good works? A growing in good works. If nothing else, at least a desire to do some good works. The, The good works are not optional for the Christian. Right? Salvation that, that Paul talks about here, that he explains to the church in Ephesus, it's salvation that we have received. It is far more than just some sort of get out of hell free card. Right? If that's your understanding of salvation, then like, and we need to have a talk because <laughs> you've got a very incomplete picture. Because we are not just saved from something; we're saved to something. All right, so. Let me give you a couple of considerations, implications, and then we'll pray and sing and get ready for VBS tonight. All right, here's, here's the first, first word of encouragement for you. I just want to go back to where Paul started. If you are a Christian, a new creation, you are God's workmanship, His masterpiece, His work of art, that should silence any sort of self-loathing, self-condemnation, or accusations from the enemy about who you are. If the creator of the universe makes you a new creation and then looks at you and says, masterpiece, what right do we have to be like self-deprecating, thinking thinking so low of ourselves. And again, I'm not saying you're the center of it all, because we're going to get to a little bit more of that in just a minute. But but if the creator of the universe looks at you and says, hey, that's a masterpiece. That should just silence any sort of self-condemnation. Anytime the enemy starts to try and sneak in and remind you of how you're you're not good enough, you don't measure up, like, like this. This is what God says about you. If you are a follower of Jesus. You you should never buy into the lie that that the enemy will try to accuse you of because he's called the accuser of the brothers, right? The accuser of men. You should never buy into the lie that you're you're somehow like not enough, not good enough, that, that Jesus regrets saving you or that he's just kind of tolerating you for a while. You're his workmanship. You're his masterpiece. And he saved you, not just from punishment separation for him, but he saved you to a purpose. Maybe you're not as far along as you thought you should be by this point. Welcome to the club. You're going to fit in just fine. But listen, you're still his workmanship. And you're not a complete masterpiece yet. He's still working and refining and he is sanding off some of those rough edges. Lord knows we've got some. But listen, he's faithful to finish what he started. Right, you keep leaning in. You keep living in these good works. And listen, the Lord is faithful to finish what he started. Or as Paul says to the church in Philippi, he who began a good work will see it to completion. Right. You're not going to reach there this side of eternity. All right, the Lord's always going to be doing a work on you. But he's faithful to finish what he started because you are his workmanship, his masterpiece. All right, here's the second thing I want you to see. Again, to, to know that, that God has saved you not just from something but also to something should just kill any notion that the Christian life is boring. Like, I think that's kind of like if you're outside looking in, you're just like, man, what a dull, boring life. And I would say like, yeah, if your view of the Christian life is just to avoid sin and avoid hell, that's what kind of life is that? A life of avoidance and escape? Right, but, but you're called to more than that. Right, let me. So this is not the Bible. I'll step away. This is conjecture from a book I'm reading. Um, it's a book, of, I don't remember the author's name. It's not a Christian book. I haven't read enough of it to commend it to you one way or the other. Uh, but one of the things I found interesting is he's writing about these nine, he's writing about depression, some different causes of depression. And he kind of identifies these nine areas of depression or nine causes, common causes. And one of the first things he addresses, he says that the people who, who experience this often kind of slip into a state of depression, It's when they are disconnected from any sort of meaningful work. In other words, when people believe that, that their work, their efforts, their energies, uh, do not contribute to anything greater than, than themselves. Right? When your work is just something you do, at the end of the day, it doesn't really contribute to the benefit of society, to the growth uh, of, of people, to, to your own growth. Like this guy says, that when, when that's your experience, it's an easy place to slip into depression. And as I read that, I, I couldn't help but wonder. So take depression uh, to the side. That's not the point of this. But I wonder if somehow that's, that's how we view the Christian life. Like we, rather than seeing the good work that, that God has called us to, we just reduce it to something that feels, feels. Sort of meaningless. Just avoiding sin, escaping hell, don't do the bad things, try to do the good things. And if that's all your view of the Christian life is, it's, that's shallow, man. Now, are there things we avoid? Are there things we run from? Are there things we flee? Yes. But the, the, the default posture of the Christian is not just to be running away from stuff, it's to be running towards someone. It's to be running towards Jesus, to be running towards uh, conformity into the image of Christ. Right. The, the Christian life is far more than just running away from. Right? It, it's running toward. In fact, let me, let me give you this, to, to kind of put all this in a, in a bigger picture. Right? We're talking about good works that God has saved us to. We're saved from this. We're saved to this. But here's what Jesus says about our good works in Matthew 5.16. He says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Right? God has saved you from the penalties of sin but he's also saved you two good works. And those good works are a part of a story that just transcends even your own life. The good works that Jesus has called you to are deeply meaningful because they are some of the means that God uses to reach other people. That other people might see your good works. That they might glorify God who is in heaven. God reaches people by a million different ways, but one of the primary ways he does that is by the people of God living out Christian lives, good works, faithful living in everyday life. That's one of the primary means that God uses to draw people to himself. It's when the people of God live out the good works that they've been called to. So may we be faithful as the people of God to walk consistently, continually in the good works that He has prepared for us to walk in. For the good of others, for our own joy, ultimately for God's glory. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to You this morning and uh, we're just grateful for Your Word. Grateful that Uh, even when we take this idea that's meant for VBS, that it it weighs on us uh, here in this room. And so, Lord, I I pray just that as we consider how we might respond to your word this morning, uh, I pray that your spirit would bring clarity to us. Father, if we're here as as believers, as Christians, I pray that we would have just a renewed sense that you have called us to... uh, you've called us to good works, that we should walk in them, that we should give ourselves to them. And that those good works are, are, are something far bigger than just, like they don't they don't end on us. It's, it's our good works that you use, yes, to conform us in your image, but ultimately to draw others into a relationship with you. So may, may we be faithful to live out these good works you've called us to. And then Father, if there's those in the room this morning that uh, maybe they're not, Christians are not yet Christians. I, I pray, Lord, I pray that, that you would break into their hearts and their minds in a supernatural way, or that you would help them to see, uh, not even necessarily verse 10, but that they would see the, the importance of what you've done for them in verses 1 through 9. That they would see that you have moved toward them in mercy and in grace and in kindness that you, you've poured out your love in the sending of your son. And I pray that they might respond to this salvation, that they might respond in, in repentance and faith and trust in Jesus Christ for what he has done, for the forgiveness of sin, for the hope of eternal life. And Lord, if that's, if that's what you're, you're pushing someone toward this morning, I pray that you give them the courage to respond, whether it's here in this moment of response, as we sing, whether it's after service, they would strike up a conversation. Or maybe it's later this week, we get together for lunch or coffee. I pray that you would, you would save. So Father, I pray that your spirit would do what only your spirit can do. Prompt us to respond, transform our hearts, conform us more and more into your image. We pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.